Well, that's cool. Right? Hey, fellow isolators. I hope you are all doing well this fall. It is sad and, yeah, a bit scary to see how the numbers of new infections for this virus we're all trying to avoid are once again climbing around the world, especially here in Alberta, where I live, and in my home province of BC. But what better time to have a second socially distant book club meeting? As usual, I was joined by a special guest and a live studio audience on Zoom for an evening talking about reading, stories, and all things books. So let's jump right in. Um, hello and welcome to the second edition of the Well That's Cool book club. I am hosting this, as I said, from Edmonton, Alberta, which is on Treaty 6 territory, the ancestral and traditional territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, Nakota Sioux, and Métis. I am honored and thankful to be able to live here and celebrate curiosity on this land. I also want to say a special hello to the live studio audience joining the book club again this month, especially those of you from the Lower Mainland, as you are in probably the most severe lockdown out of all of us on the call right now. Um, it's a bit tighter than the new one starting here, but uh, we're all in this together. I know you had very few other things you could be doing, but I'm still thankful you decided to join us here today. Now, please remember that we will have a question period at the end of this recording, and I hope that you'll stick around for the book club meeting afterwards and share what you're reading for Lockdown 2.0. I am very excited about this second edition of the book club. I'm joined by my friend and actually my former boss, Alyssa Polinski. Alyssa and I worked together for a year when she came in and covered a parental leave when I worked with the BC Museums Association. We had a great time working together. We started a bunch of new programs for the sector, and we ate far too much chocolate together. She really was a bad influence on me. <laughs> now, alongside being a great supervisor, Alyssa is also a great communicator, which is actually what she does for a living. Alyssa is a freelance communications consultant, and we'll find out what that actually means, who is currently acting director of communications for the Greater Victoria Public Library. She is also on the board of the Story Studio Writing Society, a charity that inspires, educates, and empowers youth through storytelling, and one that received the Council of the Federation Literacy Award for BC in 2020. Alyssa is also the president of the Victoria Book Prizes, the organization that annually awards the best adult and children's books created by a Victoria-based writer. So it is my pleasure to talk with her this evening, and welcome, Alyssa. Thanks, Ben. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too. Now, I mentioned that I know you. We worked together for about a year, so um, I know that everybody else doesn't know you. So I wanted to start with a couple rapid-fire questions first, just to give people a sense of who you are. Are you okay with that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're going to start right back at the very beginning. What is your earliest memory of reading or of engaging with storytelling? Uh, definitely has to be reading with my mom uh, and we would go to the library in the town about 30 minutes away from us and they had this amazing mural with um, a rainbow and a blue whale and when you put your back against the blue whale it also ran along the water fountain so it sounded like there was water and it was just the most magical thing for a four-year-old. And so you would read books while doing that not just Look yeah, at the library. they had it um, set up so there was a tiered level of stairs and we would grab our pile of books and sit there and read and it was fantastic. That does sound great. Is there a book that stands out from your early life, whether as a four-year-old or maybe as a young adult that really impacted who you are today? Um, 
I think as a child, I remember one of the most vivid books for me was Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Um, and I think just the fantasticalness of that book and the illustrations just blew my mind that someone had created that and that came out of someone's someone's um, imagination. It is a pretty wild one. Uh, you are a freelance communications consultant. So what really in a nutshell does that entail? What does that entail? Um, well, I help people tell their stories. Um, and I do that for a variety of clients. I mostly work in the nonprofit art sector, sector and um, I've really tried to make it my business to work with libraries and publishers and anything related to books. Okay. And we'll get into some of those other roles that you do a little bit later on. Um, but I was curious if there are any other writing or editing, publishing, or other elements of the literary field that you have done or have worked in that we should know about um, as we're starting here. Yeah, my very first job out of university, I worked for the Association of Magazine Publishers of BC and then the Association of Book Publishers of BC. And those were fantastic jobs for someone starting out in the industry because I got to see the variety of different publishers in British Columbia. It also just really instilled in me what, um, it's a challenging business. And it really is, it is really a lot of people who believe in telling stories as Canadians and British Columbians. And so those were um, really formative experiences for me. And then finally, for this early section, how has living through a pandemic changed or impacted your reading? I know that you read a lot. So are you still reading a lot? Are you reading different things? How has that, uh, that all gone for you? I'm still reading a lot. I would say I have two young kids who are 10 and 8, and they were home with me last spring. And so I, my reading really doubled up because I was doing my own reading at night. I was reading out loud to my kids during the day. And then I was also reading with them there in French immersion. So I was reading a lot of French books with them. And I also was really improving my French. <laughs> Getting the accent down. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, they say I'm terrible, but <laughs> I understood a lot more. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, I think that that gives us a, a really good quick insight into who you are and what you do. So I want to move on to talk about storytelling um, and especially how that runs through the work that you're doing empowering youth because i think that's an interesting thing um and something that i've talked about on this podcast before as well about how youth and storytelling and reading and writing is a very important part of of that development and of that empowerment so i'm referring to your work with story studio writing society you're on the board of that organization and i think that you've been involved with them for a number of years now so can you give me an overview of that work and and what story studio is yeah, absolutely. So I joined the board of Story Studio five years ago, I believe now. And Story Studio is a nonprofit. Um, we are we uh, originate here in Victoria, which is on the traditional lands of the Lekwungen people. And we offer programming and resources to help youth tell their own stories. And we work with kids who are roughly in the age range of five to 15. And we have professional, we use professional techniques and mentors um, to nurture their storytelling skills. Um, I would say about 80% of the youth that we work with are vulnerable. And we define vulnerable as um, students who may be at risk in terms of academic achievement or social functioning. 
And so we use storytelling as a way to help build confidence and, um, and help with literacy skills. And so building confidence obviously is, is one thing, but how does that build the community that those youth are in and how does that empower them to be a part of that? Well, I think it really gives, it really gives students um, or children the, the, um, I don't want to say acceptance, but it, it gives them it gives them the power to know that their stories are okay, and that there's all different stories out there, and that there is a place for them in their community, and that, that their voice can be heard, and that that's an important thing. Yeah, absolutely. So there are a lot of literacy programs out there, or programs that focus on getting kids specifically to read. This seems a little bit different. It's about it's about them having a voice. So how how do you link to those? Are they similar? Does it have a different goal in that sense um, by engaging them with their story through writing? So reading is really important and there are tons of programs out there both in the school system as well as in the community that help kids with reading, fostering a love of reading, helping with remedial reading, um, reading and literacy for kids who maybe English is not their first language. And so that's a really well covered market. And what we do is a little different because we focus on storytelling. And we know that storytelling is an essential skill. It helps us connect with other people. It helps us connect people with ideas. And these are skills that kids use as children, but also as they grow up and become teenagers and adults. And someone who understands how a story is told can tell their story. So I often think of reading as being how we understand the world and our place in it and i think storytelling really is helpful for how we articulate our stories and experiences and share them with others you heard it here first reading is important so. <laughs> groundbreaking groundbreaking <laughs> um but i think that i think that that really is the the key point in many ways that creativity and, and reading and uh, those formative elements are very important to kids but as you mentioned, they're also important as we grow up. And yet we often hear that things like creativity is something we we lose. You know, I think of all the things I did as a kid, the art classes, the even writing as an act itself, and how little of that I do myself today and how much it seems like a hobby or something that we have to force time to do. Um, can you help explain how embracing that creativity or harnessing its qualities shape that development in youth and what impact that has on them growing up? Well, I think we live in a world that's really focused on efficiency and efficiency is very much the opposite of creativity. Um, and so what we do with kids in story studio is we give them enough boundaries. We don't go out and say, write a story because that's overwhelming, right? It's like, I don't know how to write a story. I'm not an author. But we say, what's, what's an interesting first line? What would, what would hook your reader? Or tell us, tell us about the character, describe them. And they'll describe them in a line. They'll say, oh, it's a boy. And we'll say, well, how old is the boy? What color hair does he have? What's his favorite food to eat? And as soon as you start asking those questions, you really see the kids start to, to um, expand. Their imagination starts to take off. And so I think that's one of the things that, you know, creativity is key for problem solving. 
And so problem solving is one of the skills that children will need as children, <laughs> but also as we become adults, the best solutions are ones where we've taken the time to be creative. And I say that small c, right? Because it doesn't mean that we're developing something new, but we're looking at different angles and we're open to ideas. And so for me, creativity really goes hand in hand with a growth mindset and just being able to, being willing to try things and fail and try again and succeed and still try again just to see what a different outcome would be. I think the the history students on the call will identify with that. As we learn history, we were, we're learning how to identify context. And that seems a very similar idea of looking at the world around you, trying to find the different things in it that you might not notice the first time, that sort of interpretation context sort of thing. Um, oh, absolutely. Is that something that, that we could learn as adults as well? Does it have to be only something we learn as kids? I know there are some writers in our audience today. Is this something that they can sort of learn the tips and techniques from as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, creativity is something I think we need to stop thinking of creativity is something that uh, a professional does, right? Like we all have creativity in our life. I'll tell you the times where I feel most creative is when I feel most free. And so I often find a lot of my best ideas come to me when I go for a bike ride. And I think that's because it transports me. Bike riding for me is very entwined with my childhood and just that sense of freedom when the wind hits you. Um, and I often find that just, I think it's a lot about making time and practicing. And maybe not managing that time in the same way that we do in work. Well, I think no expectations, right? right. You know, you're not tied to an outcome. You're there for the process. Mm -hmm. um, I guess since I know that there are also writers who are participating in initiatives like NaNoWriMo, um, which is the National Novel Writing Month, where there is very much a deadline and it is very much about managing that time, um, is that... Is that something that you wouldn't teach to the kids because it, it provides a little bit more of that box to play within? I think it's okay to have a box as long as that box isn't, you know, hemming them in. We all need some sort of structure. And so I think every writer I've talked to has said it's all about practice and it's about making time. So it really is. That's one of the things I love about National Writing, Novel Writing Month or, um, three-day novel. Have you heard of the three-day novel contest that comes out of Vancouver? I think those are fantastic because you're giving yourself this period of time. You're saying, I'm committed to this, whether it's three days or 30 days. Um, I know there's a famous Canadian author who is coming out with a book next year and it's all, she calls it the 5 a.m. Writers Club. And she's been getting up every day, every every day at 5 a.m. and that's how she fits her writing in. And over time, it's become easier and easier. And that's, that's how she's honed her craft. Cool. Um, how has the pandemic impacted delivering your programs? Oh, big time. So at Story Studio, we, uh, we were primarily delivering programs in the classroom, we'd be in 20 or 30 classrooms a year. And uh, we had talked about wanting to branch out and do more stuff in the community and do more stuff online but we're a very small organization and so it was something that just hadn't happened and then we had the pandemic and everything shut down 
Um, so we've really expanded um, our different avenues of reaching people. We've had writing contests. We've partnered with the local public library to do a teen writing club. We um, have spent a lot of time working with educators, so out of school care. Um, even we've done some really some stuff for really young kids um, through childcare, doing some training with early childcare providers, um, just on creativity and storytelling. So for the really young kids, it's not about writing; it's just about storytelling. Um, and we've also been doing some stuff integrating the work that we used to do in the classroom using Google Classrooms so that we can still work with classrooms, even though we can't physically be in the school. Right. So that was a huge shift for us. We have a fantastic executive director named Sean Rodman, who is also um, a young adult author. And he and his team did a really great job of pivoting and working with partnerships. That was what allowed us to make the changes and be nimble is by working with other people in the community. Um, you touched a little bit on this, but I wondered if you could expand a bit on the differences between the age groups and what, what you teach them, what you work with, what the resources are for those. Yeah, so with the younger age groups, we our school program generally goes from kindergarten to grade six. We've done, we've done some experimental stuff with middle age with middle school children. Um, and that's been really fun. It's kind of been like a choose your own adventure. Um, and so we can get into a little bit more complicated stuff with them. But with the primary group, we really focus on what are the main building blocks of the story? How do you start a story? Um, talking about conflict resolution and uh, just keeping it simple. So we use a lot of, we, we read stories with them and we kind of pick them apart and look at what worked and what didn't. And we um, also just do lots of brainstorming with them. We will come up with, we'll show them a picture maybe, and we'll say, what type of words does, does this forest remind you of? And then the kids will shout it out. And it's so interesting to see how different kids have different perceptions. And you also have some resources on your website for adults who are either working with kids or maybe parents who are working with kids um, to yeah. help go through some of those processes with them. What are those from an adult's perspective to working with kids? Sure. So just helping a young writer, really, I think the most important role for a grown up is to be encouraging, to show interest and to to encourage a growth mindset in the kids. You know, it doesn't have to be a finished product the first time. It You can come back to it time and time again. Um, and we have a lot of worksheets that cover stuff like um, how to gather ideas, how to create a character, how to hook your reader, um, how do you edit, or how do you use a story map to show us where you're going with your story. And I think that um, we also have some educators on the call who may want to look at those resources as well. Yeah. Uh, so Story Studio was awarded the 2020 Council of the Federation Literacy Award for your work specifically in empowering youth through storytelling. Um, this was really the first time that I heard a lot about Story Studio. We had talked about it, I'm sure, in passing in our office, but this was the first time I had seen um, the recognition for it, especially at such a high level. It's a national award. It's handed out each year by Canada's premiers. There's one award for each of the provinces. Um, can you tell me about the importance of receiving this award and being recognized for that work at that level? 
Oh, this was, we are so proud of this award and it was really a huge honor for us. So Story Studio was started 11 years ago um, and our founder is a, just a dynamic, fantastic woman named Paisley Aiken. And she really saw a gap that there was lots of groups that were helping kids learn how to read, but very few focused on storytelling. And she was inspired by, um, some of you may be familiar with Valencia 826 in San Francisco, who does similar stuff like this. And she was very inspired by them. And she started this on her own. And over time, it's morphed. She's been in classrooms. She had a storefront at one point of time in Victoria. And, um, and then eventually it evolved. And she, um, you know, she went from being a one woman show to having it turn into a nonprofit. And we've just had so many volunteers, board members, people who go into the classroom and work with kids, editors who help type up the books and make the books for the kids. Um, so it's really a culmination of everybody's hard work. And um, it's, in, it's a huge honor for us to be recognized at this level. And we should say most of the people that work with the associate or with the organization are volunteers. Isn't that correct? Yeah, we have two part-time staff and everyone else is a volunteer. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, you, as you said, 11 years, if you had a kid in that first year who was 10, they'd be 21. Um, I don't know if that's quite old enough yet to have any famous authors coming out of your workshops yet, but anybody who has gone on with that career choice, who, who has turned it into a career yet that you know of? We don't have anyone that we know of yet, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. It's a lifelong passion for sure. <laughs> Uh, I thought it would be an interesting sort of transition into the second half of our conversation to talk about how um, how you foster writing outside of the programs themselves. So Story Studio hosts writing contests, and we're about to talk about the Victoria Book Prizes. So how do contests and prizes as things to aim for or things to enter into, uh, how do they encourage youth to write? And how is that different than the accomplishment of printing and publishing a book uh, that you provide to the workshop participants because they do get an actual copy of a book when they're done. Yeah, well, I think every child is different and some children are really motivated by competition and uh, seeing their work against other people's and, and having a goal that they're working towards. And for other children, that is the last thing they want. It is their work is private um, they're delighted to have it made into a book for them, but that might, the idea of a contest is just not up their alley. So I think we reach people in different ways. Um, but yeah, most kids I, I know are, are um, the, the idea of a contest really appeals to them. <laughs> Winning. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're almost monthly, aren't they? Yeah, we started doing it monthly with the pandemic because we found that it was a great way to focus kids. That was the feedback we were getting is if you have a theme and then it's something they can work on through the entire month. And it's interesting to see some, we'll get a lot of the same kids each month um, participating in the contest. And so that's really cool to see them flexing their writing skills on very different subjects. Mm -hmm. Do you have, uh, I don't have them offhand here, but do you have any of those subjects remember any of them recently well this year tacos have been huge we've had exploding tacos taco parties very very big on the taco front 
Um, a couple years ago, dragons were really big. And, and so it's kind of fascinating that you could see these trends who these kids aren't working together, but that's what's on their mind. I think tacos are always great. So, <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit more about the, the book prizes. Now you are also the president of the Victoria book prizes, which is an annual event that recognizes, uh, Victoria or greater Victoria, I should say, based authors in two categories. There's the city of Victoria Butler book prize, which is for adult works and the City of Victoria Children's Book Prize. So can you tell me, first of all, who were the two recipients in 2020? Sure. So the winner of the City of Victoria Butler Book Prize was the uh, well-loved and accomplished poet Lorna Crozier. She's won Governor General's Award. She's a professor here at the University of Victoria. And she won for her poetry collection called The House the Spirit Builds. And um, it's poetry that was inspired by her time at the Frontenac um, Arch Biosphere in Southern Ontario, paired with photography. And that was a historic win. That was the first time we've had a poetry title win the award. We've always had poetry titles dominated. Um, but it was a really exciting year as she is a... Um, as a pillar in the writing community and so it was wonderful to see her work recognized and the children's book prize and the children's book prize was won by uh mark Liren young and his book is called orcas everywhere and if you ever had the chance to meet mark or see him um in person or on the screen he is um, an orcaholic is what he calls himself and he is just so passionate and enthusiastic about orcas and his book was wonderful it's aimed i would say probably at the middle school late elementary early middle school reader and it's nonfiction. so he has a lot of journalism in there as well as archival photos and um really fantastic book wonderful to see him win this year and and we should mention he's somebody who actually writes a lot about orcas and other mediums as well he, yeah. he writes scientific articles um done a lot of other non-writing type activities as well yeah, he's producing a documentary right now and he also has a podcast so mm -hmm. he um yeah you can find him in many different channels and then i guess a follow-up to the poetry element so so you said that it was about a time spent in southern ontario but mm. it's a victoria book prize because it's an author who lives in or is based in yeah. victoria so how how does that work so to be eligible, you have to live in Greater Victoria. So that includes, you know, um, anything sort of south of Duncan, British Columbia, uh, down to Victoria, as well as the uh, southern Gulf Islands. And the topic can be about absolutely anything. The only thing that was required is that you are a resident. Um, and it's fascinating because it's called the Victoria Book Prize, but we have books set in Paris. We have books, um, you know, about global issues. We have books about very local issues where you see Victoria or um, other parts of British Columbia represented in the books. So it's really um, a unique it's a very unique prize. And also it's, um, it's multi-genre. So we have poetry competing against fiction and nonfiction and the same for children's. In the children's prize, you might have a child's fiction book, um, a nonfiction or even a board book um, could be in there too. Hopefully a pop-up book. <laughs> yeah. Those are very popular. 
Yes, I still love him. Um, so I know that the selection is done by a jury, not by the board like yourself. But can you tell me a little bit about the process for selecting um, the, the winners, the books that are in the shortlist, uh, why they're winners, and how you do that in a multi-genre group to choose from? Yeah, it's, um, I'd love to be in the room with the judges when they're discussing it. <laughs> so we appoint uh, two juries, one for the children's prize, one for the adults prize, and those are industry professionals. So we will have booksellers, librarians, fellow writers. Uh, we usually have three on each jury and they get together and they read every single book that comes in in their category. I think last year we had 50, uh, we had 50, in the adult category and about 35 in the children's. So it is a fair amount of reading, particularly for the adult prize. And then we ask them to narrow it down to a short list of five for the children, three or three for the children, five for the adults. And then they get together uh, this year, of course, they got together on Zoom and they discuss the books and they discuss, um, you know, they'll talk about the actual writing itself. They'll talk about the subject. They'll talk about uh, how it fits in with other books that have been published, uh, whether it is based on subject or genre. So how does it compare to other poetry books? And I think they just have a very rigorous discussion about, um, about the merit of the work because it's really about literary excellence. And so, of course, judges bring their own biases. We, we all do when we are looking at books, but they really do look at the work itself. And I think also the author's, the author's um, contribution to the literary community. And I'm curious about how they actually pick, especially for, for the kids' books, because they are very much adults who are picking these. They are not the kids themselves. So, so how as adults do you pick a good kids book? We talked a little bit about this with, with Rachel in the last episode about writing for kids uh, yeah. or young adults, but, but how do we, how do we pick a good book for a kid? Well, a lot of the people that we have on the children's prize are children's librarians or children's booksellers. So they're surrounded by these books all the time. It's part of their jobs. They see a lot of different literature um, for children. And so they have a pretty strong comparison. I mean, you're right. There is something to be said for having a child will perceive it differently than an adult. But I will say I read the shortlisted books with my children every year. And, and it's interesting. There's sometimes a book where the kids just it does it's not a fit for them. And they're not interested. But I was, I was surprised this year there was a book on the list. Um, it was Sarah Cassidy's book, Nevers, which was set in uh, 19th century France. And I just didn't know if it was going to be my kid's cup of tea, but it was a great story. And they they were hooked. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Well, I have not always had good luck with award-winning books. I often feel I should read them. We see them with the stickers of you know, Giller Prize or Booker Prize or whatever on the front, but I often find them either beyond me or too focused on innovative style that I don't catch the story. Or like you said, sometimes they just don't resonate with, with me or with other readers. So how do you as an organization, and especially you as a reader, how do you judge or pick books that may not be of interest for you 
that you just don't get? How do you get over those biases and find the merit of the book itself? Well, I'll just say first, as a reader, um, I really believe that you should do you. There's no reading place, right? You should choose a book that works for you, and there's no guilt or expectation on what you read. Um, but I do think that if you put two books side by side and one's of a subject that is of great interest to you and one maybe not so much, but there are differences in structure, in um, the prose in a book, I, I really think it is um, fairly evident as to what makes, uh, what makes a book good. So... And that doesn't mean you have to like it, but you can recognize that there is um, talent behind it. But you know I'm going to ask you what makes a book good. <laughs> what makes a book good? You'd have to tell me. What uh, makes a book good for me is something that gets me hooked. <laughs> I, I need a story. I, I'm very much a story-driven reader. And so if the, the form may be very innovative, but if the story isn't there, you might not personally be that hooked into it. You know, it's interesting. So I just read um, this year, <laughs> my epic reading, I read Duck's Newburyport, which is a 1100 page book. And it is almost one entire sentence. It's basically one entire run on sentence. Wow. And I was curious because it was getting a lot of hype. And I decided that I was going to read it. And I, I'm, I'm glad I read it. I'm not sure. I might, I might have read it again if I went back in time. But I, I found the run-on sentence a challenge. Uh, but I could see what the author was doing. And I thought it was awfully ballsy for her to write 1,100 pages that way. Yeah. <laughs> and she did tell a story in it. I don't know. <laughs> Jury's still out on that one for me. I did. Uh, I did William Faulkner's The Bear in uh, in high school because it has a five and a half page. I think it's like a four thousand word sentence, and um, and so I thought that was so cool. And by the end of reading it, I had no clue what had happened. And then I read a book <laughs> shortly afterwards called uh, Guts and Mayor, I believe, which was sort of a semi fantastical story of the the nazi death squads that went through serbia and all this really not a, a happy story but i kept sort of going well i'm going to put it down at the end of the chapter and then i was 100 pages in and it had no i realized it had no paragraph breaks it was just you know a structure all the way through the whole thing and i i ended up being mad at it while reading it so uh, i guess you can look past it better than me um i am assuming in some ways and i i say this because i I know you and know how much you read, that you have become essentially a professional reader. You do a lot of reading for work. You do a lot of reading out of interest. Um, how do you approach reading differently if you're trying to just enjoy that story as from when you're trying to look at a book for a library or looking at a book for a prize? Has that changed how you read? Has it changed your style or your approach to that? Can you get can you get out of your own sort of judging head in that sense? Um, I think, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of books I read where they probably wouldn't make it on a prize list. And that doesn't bother me at all because that's what I'm there to read it for. 
I think I definitely, one of the things I love about my job and, and the work I do with Story Studio and the Victoria Book Prizes is that I'm really exposed to a lot of people who work in the book industry. And so I hear a lot of chatter about books that change people, opens people's eyes, that there is an exciting new voice. And so I feel like I've become um, a far more diverse reader and that has really enriched my life. Last year, I read a book that I probably wouldn't have picked up on my own, and it was it was a fictional story, and it really uh, told the, about the relationship between Japan and South Korea, and I don't know if that would have been in my wheelhouse before, but I heard a lot of hype about it in, in book circles, and so I decided to give it a try, and that's what I love about reading. I love that it just takes me somewhere that I've never been before, that I learned something um, and just something so different from my experience, which is funny because when I was younger, I used to read to see myself and to understand my experiences. And as I get older, I find that I read more to open my mind to other experiences. Is that because... People. Is that because you don't see yourself or, or do you think it's maybe because you know yourself more or is it just the contextual side? No, I think it's because I know myself more and I think I just know, I just know that there's a bigger world out there, right? And mm -hmm. so I think I'm seeking it out more. And I've, and, and, you know, as someone who has gone through many English classes and publishing, I know that for a long time we've had a really narrow homogenous publishing industry and so i really do seek out people who maybe haven't traditionally been represented in in the publishing world and do you find them just because you have those connections with the industry you hear the chatter about them or how, how do you go about finding those yeah i think so i think like through the industry i think i follow a lot of people on social media who I might take something that I don't know much about and then I'll I'll hear about someone on a podcast and suddenly I'll follow them and then they know a whole new circle of thinkers and writers that I haven't been exposed to before and and I learn from them so that is truly one of the joys of social media for me hmm. sounds like a lot better Twitter feeds than mine <laughs> um, I do want to end my conversation with you with your recommendations. But before I do that, we are going to have a question and answer period. Um, and to get us started, though I know it's not a competition, I am curious how many books you have read this year. Oh, um, I'm guessing it's more than my five. Right? It is more than five. Okay, I have probably read 60 books so far this year. 60 books this year. Is that a, a good year? Yeah, uh, that's a pretty good year. Yeah. That's a pretty good year. Although that 1,000 page, one sentence really slowed me down. Right. right. It could have been 63 <laughs> books or something like that. Right? Do yeah. you read Do you read multiple books at once? Do you start with finish one? I only read multiple books at once when all my library holds come in at the same time. I prefer right. to read one at a time, but sometimes you're forced to. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> um, if anybody does have any questions, uh, please jump on uh and ask them i have a question go ahead hi so thank you so much for joining us you're incredibly eloquent and this has been very very fun to listen to i'm really interested in how you weave in learning about different genres with the young kids particularly 
and if you explore graphic novels at all with that age group. Um, we haven't done that. Um, we haven't done that, I guess I would say, um, officially with the younger group, but um, drawing their stories is a really big part of the younger kids, what they do. Um, especially when they're really young, we'll often do the transcribing for them and they'll spend a lot of time showing us their stories through drawings. Um, in terms of genres, we don't really go there at this point in time. It's basically an introductory thing, but children, it, you will, within a class, you will almost always see different genres. You've got the adventure, you've got the magical, um, you'll always have a historical one, and there will always be a time travel. It's, um, it's really neat. And I don't know if that is because it's actually an interesting, I hadn't thought of it before, but I don't know if that's because children have heard those stories before, or if they're just so creative that that's what they're coming up with. <laughs> I wanted to ask, I'm Ben's mom. Hi. <laughs> I wanted to ask about if you do this, or if you have thought of doing this kind of work with adults, I mean, I know there are, you know, writing groups and, and all kinds of stuff out there for adults, but this seems to me a little bit different in um, helping you formulate it, and maybe even pre-writing. It's helping you formulate a story or, or learn how to um, get a story out of your head. And, and I think as adults, at least for me, I was trying to think back to the last time I wrote a story. Now, for heaven's sake, it's got to be 50 years, you know, since I was a kid. And, and I think I came across one recently that I had written when I was in elementary school. But how do you help adults develop that kind of um, fluidity again that you might have had as a child? Yeah. And um, we don't work with adults, but it's so interesting when we talk to adults with it, they say, I wish there'd been something like this when I was a kid or do you do things for adults? Um, and so we toyed around a while, a while ago of doing like story studio after dark, mm -hmm. and it would be the time for adults to come out and work together and do a workshop. And so we've gone back and forth on that for a while. Um, and I think there would be uptake. I really do think people would be interested in it, but we just never haven't had the resources to um, devote to it. But I, I absolutely do think that there is, is an audience for that. Um, and again, you know, I think it's just practice. I know myself, I um, I did a year with um, Sarah Selecki. She's a Canadian author. She did, um, she had this thing where you could sign up and you got a writing prompt every day. And the idea was that you would just sit down, no computer, pen and paper, and write for 10 minutes every day on this prompt. And I was like, great, this is going to be so easy. I'm going to do this every day. And then I'm just going to be, you know, I'm going to have a gazillion ideas by the end of it. And I did it. And boy, was it hard mm -hmm. for the first little while. And then once I got into the groove, it was fantastic. And it flowed. And, and then, of course, I stopped maybe nine months in. Um, but I actually found my notebook not that long ago. And I thought, I got to do this again. Because just what comes out of you it's amazing. I remember thinking, did I write this? That's, that's quite interesting. <laughs> Great, thank you. Uh, 
another question is how could we possibly get involved with Story Studio? Um, well, I'd love to. You can go to the Story Studio website, which is storystudio.ca. And um, our executive director, Sean Rodman, is a really fantastic guy. And he's always got lots of ways to engage volunteers. Um, and yeah, there's lots of, especially I think now that we've gone online, it's, um, we can take people who maybe just aren't in Victoria, which is really nice. Yeah, maybe you should clarify that geographic region too, Alyssa. So you use yeah. it, it's a BC award, but it's a Victoria-based studio. Yeah, we're Victoria-based, but um, we have been trying to. We'd love to. Like our long-term goal is to make this first provincial. We'd like to be running these programs, have Story Studio in schools all across BC, um, but also national. It's something. Uh, I know Toronto has a storefront and they do it mainly after school, but we think this is really important to be in schools and um, storytelling is different. People often say, well, why would you guys even go into a school? Because they have teachers and that's teacher's job, but it's very different. Um, so in terms of the of the book prize that um, that you're connected with, have you noticed trends over the past five years, three years, that sort of thing in terms of what books are coming down the pipe, what voices are coming through. And, um, you, you know, the, the Giller Prize this, this year was quite, uh, I, I don't want to say controversial, but different um, kind of thing. So that, that's a nicer term. Um, and so it's, yeah, have you, where do you think, where is it going and where does it come from and, and that sort of thing? I think that we're definitely seeing a lot of different voices. For a long time, it was really, um, you know, probably what you'd think of as your typical Canadian canon. But I think that we are seeing um, people, publishers know that it's in their best interest to diversify. And so we're able to see a lot more voices. And that's so encouraging. Um, and so I think that we've seen, um, I've also noticed just in the last few years that I've seen a lot more Indigenous authors coming through um, in terms of submissions and also being on the shortlist. And that's really uh, encouraging. While Rachel thinks about it, I'll ask a couple ones that I had thought of, Alyssa. So we've had this conversation before, but I, I don't think you rate books. You do a, a little bit of a review, but it's more based on the comments or the feelings that you might've had about them. You, you don't do the Goodreads three out of five thing. No. Is that correct? No, I don't. I don't personally. Um, for me, I mean, I don't have a, I'm not a bookstagrammer. This is just purely, um, I, I, I take a picture of every book I read and I put it on Instagram and I will often write a summary of what it is or I'll just write about um, how I was feeling when I read it or some random fact. Um, but I recognize all the work that goes into a story and I think I would, I, I would find it pretty hard to slam a book. Um, there's a lot of books that sometimes I'll read and I'll just say, Phew, not my cup of tea. Like it just, it wasn't for me. And I could, I, I may still be very glad I read it, but I wouldn't say I recommend it to someone. Um, so I think that's just a personal preference. I mean, I'm kind of picky in what I read and I know what I'm getting into. I don't go into a lot of books. Um, 
without knowing something about them. So I'm, I think I'm setting myself up for success usually, <laughs> but maybe narrowing my reading. I don't know. And yet reading to broaden your perspectives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I've been very interested to see the way that books are coming out through the pandemic um, and how they're being they're being perceived in the pandemic. So at the beginning of the lockdowns, everybody was talking about all the books they were going to read. And then it was all the books that we're not reading because we're too stressed to read them. Um, and now as we're looking at second lockdowns around the world, we're seeing places where shopping is being curtailed because uh, of defining appropriate and needed shopping items. And especially in the UK, a lot of the chains of places that sell books but may sell other things are covering up books as not essential items and yet often leaving magazine racks open or things like that. Um, where do books fit in our pandemic experience and and how do you see something like that impacting the way that people are reading or approaching books well i'll just speak for myself and books have played a huge role in my pandemic experience and in many many different ways so for me reading is absolutely a comfort it's something i do every day and nothing feels better to me than at the end of the day when i know that i get my reading time um, so there's absolutely comfort there for me. But I also was reading because I've been trying out a lot of new stuff around home. I've been painting rooms, so I've been reading to learn things. Um, and the reading with my children this year, I, I read to my children every night. So it's nothing new, but the times I will, I will absolutely look back on the pandemic lockdown times of us sitting around in a circle in our backyard. Um, we finished the Harry Potter series uh, during the pandemic. We also started and finished a series called the Penderwicks. And those are some of my happiest memories of the pandemic. And I think we're hearing a lot about people who are isolated and people's mental health um, plummeting because they are isolated from people, they're alone, they have a lot of fears. So I think books are 100% essential um, to providing us with connections to other people, uh, feeling like we're part of the world and, and just providing comfort. So, and I hadn't heard about the story about the UK where they're covering up books. That's, that's uh, terrifying. Some of their uh, grocery store chains that also have books are covering them in tarps. Hmm. But not wine. I don't believe so. Yeah. No. That would have probably had more, more national <laughs> outreach. I've got another question, Ben. And it's uh, I probably will display my lack of adventurousness, I suppose, in my reading. Um, I remember picking up, I'm sure it was an Australian book, and you may know what, what it was, but it was written without punctuation. And I just could not do that. It just was not for me. And I guess I need the more structure. But I was thinking most people say that if you read a lot, you can write. But I wonder if it's the, if the other, uh, the converse applies. If you write, can you become more tolerant or more um, open to different styles and formats and forms of writing? Because I, I, I could not do an 1100 page one sentence book. I, I would give it up after the first three sentences, but- We must be related. 
<laughs> but is there is there value in using writing to expand your ability to read differently, not the other way around? Oh, that's a really interesting thought. I hadn't I hadn't considered it, but it certainly uh, I think it could, certainly could be because of all the different ways you play when you're writing and the way that you, um, you know, you want to try new things and so you want to be inspired and see how other people have, have done it. And I do say, I have to say, I get a kick out of books where, you know, whether it is a, a, a literary mechanism or a style, when it's something new that I haven't seen before, that really excites me. Mm. That doesn't mean I always like it, but I think, Oh, well, isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not in that camp, I'm afraid. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> and, yet, and yet, I really, like tonight, Ben and I were on an um, investors group event that had Chris Hadfield um, oh, yeah. speaking. And they had Great a panel, and they had lots and lots of kids on this thing, parents and kids. And I, I had to laugh. At, ben couldn't see them. There were hundreds of questions going into that column from five to who knows how old, asking these hilarious questions. Some of them were just hilarious coming from a kid's perspective. And uh, I really do love that kind of, like when you watch kids walk and they, they don't walk an ordinary step, they you know do everything yeah. with their arms and their legs. And it's the same with their questions. They come right off the top and they're onto the-, onto the Yeah, kid. there's no filter. Yeah, I love that. So yeah. maybe there's value in working with kids to help you free up your your own. Yeah. Dodgy. Absolutely. Yeah. And that relates to some of your story studio work in that you bring in people who are writers working with kids as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we often bring in writers. Sometimes they come as just volunteers who really want to work with kids and just, you know, some of them will say, I came because I wanted to be reminded how much I love this and the joy with it. Sometimes we have them come in and do actual, um, you know, instruction with the kids. And, and I think it does provide them with some, it's just a, a breath of fresh air. I appreciate the name drop of Chris Hadfield on my podcast. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll see if we can get him later. Um, last chance for questions. It's a bit of a tricky question, but I do find I come across adults who have, as they've gotten older, they have forgotten what it means to read or if they've pushed aside reading. And so I'm curious if you have one or a few books you would recommend that to an adult who wants to get back into reading. Oh, you know, I think reading, I, I don't want to have a cop out here, but I think reading is just so personal. So you really have to know what that adult um, is interested in. So my husband, who I love dearly, is not a huge reader and it kind of drives me crazy. And I am always bringing him books and saying, you are going to love this book. It is so good. Like once you start, you won't be able to put it down. And he'll read it and he'll be like, yeah, that's okay. And I have just learned that the only way to have him excited about books is to give him the latest political memoir. That, that's just what floats his boat. And so I really think reading is very personal and you have to find the right book for the right person. And, and I won't let her cop out because I will ask her about recommendations. So, oh. um, 
Thank you, everyone, for your questions. And Alyssa, before we sign off today, uh, I asked you if you could recommend three books. And the three books were one from Victoria that was not one of the 2020 winners that we already discussed. One that you think everybody should read, regardless of who they are, where they come from, as much as reading may be personal. And one that is among your absolute favorites, regardless if we may like it or not. Yeah. Um, all right. So, you know, I'm not going to truly answer what book everybody <laughs> should read. Just, I'm just putting that. I tried. There. I tried. Um, so I brought this book. I don't know if you can see it with my terrible lighting here. I don't have a professional yeah. ring light, but it's called Dear Evelyn and it's by Kathy Page. And it won the Victoria Butler book prize last year. And I didn't really think this book was going to be for me. It seemed like kind of a typical um, British war story after the war story. And eh, it was fine, but not really for me. And I loved it. I started it. I just thought this was a book of the writing just taking me away um, and of her doing a fabulous job of telling a story. So um, last year's winner, very good book. Um, I also... I love reading Canadian books and I love supporting Canadian writers. And so a couple of my favorites, uh, two of my favorite authors, um, Miriam Taves, who was originally from Manitoba, but now lives in Toronto. Um, and she has many books, but my favorite two is A Complicated Kindness um, and All My Puny Sorrows. And she has this amazing way of writing about incredibly sad subjects and being very funny and real. And I love her work. She's one of those authors who I buy every book that she publishes. Um, and then I always have secretly wanted to be an East Coaster. I'm from the prairies, I'm from Saskatchewan and I live in BC now, but um, I, I think I truly do belong on the East Coast. And so um, I love books, particularly about Newfoundland. I was lucky enough to go to Newfoundland two, two years ago, I think, maybe three. Um, and Michael Crummy's Sweetland is one of my favorites. It actually reminds me a lot of where I grew up in Saskatchewan, even though it's set in a Newfoundland outport, um, because it's uh, about a, a, a town or an island that is being um, resettled, but they have a holdout who won't leave. And uh, it's filled with your quirky Newfoundland characters. Um, and then I'm not sure this is a book everybody should read, but this is my choice for it. Um, because this is one of the things I love about reading. And this is called, Can We All Be Feminists? And it's um, 15 essays. And it is the book that really opened my eyes to intersectionality and there is a perspective for just about everything you can think of in this book. So um, I guess it's my current, everybody should read this. Um, and then my all time favorite book, I didn't, I didn't pull it out, I don't know why, but um, I think is probably Joan Didion Slouching Towards Bethlehem, which is a book of essays uh, by the famous American writer, Joan Didion. And I could talk about books. This is my favorite thing to do. I could talk about books for an hour longer. <laughs> I love matching people with books. This is, uh, yeah, right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. 
Alyssa, thank you so much for, for joining me and joining us for the second meeting of the Well That's Cool Book Club. It was really cool to hear your perspective um, and hear really about the experience of reading and writing and how those all shape people from children all the way up to adults. So that was really, really fascinating to hear that. Thanks. Pleasure uh, to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Ben. <laughs> no problem. And <laughs> how can people find out more? You mentioned the Story Studio website, but um, yeah. Story Studio, the Victoria Book Prizes and if they wanted a book recommendation. Yeah, if, you, um, if you're if you interested in seeing what I'm reading, you're also welcome to follow me. I'm on Instagram at redheadreader. I have a private account just because I can't stand all the bots I get. I'm, I'm <laughs> I seem to attract a lot of them, but um, I'd be happy to add you and uh, you could check out some of the books I'm reading, but you'll have to endure some pictures of my children and my garden, so be warned. Thanks to Alyssa Polinski for joining me for the second meeting of the Well That's Cool book club. It was great to be able to catch up, hear what she's reading, and hear about all the other things she's doing in the literary field. I hope you'll join me again on December 10th for the next club meeting. I'll be talking with Mark Zulke, an award-winning author generally considered to be Canada's foremost popular military historian. Mark's Canadian Battle series, which you've likely seen in your local bookstore, is the most exhaustive recounting of the battles and campaigns fought by any nation during World War II to have been written by a single author. I'll be asking Mark what it's like to write about such detailed and yet expansive history, how research shapes nonfiction writing, and about what makes him also an award-winning mystery writer. You can register for the conversation on my website at benfast.ca slash cool slash book club. Also note the slightly earlier time. Mark will be joining me at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time on December 10th. After my conversation with Alyssa, our audience stuck around for a great half-hour discussion about what we're reading these days. For me, I'm still working my way through A History of Scotland by Neil Oliver, and I think I might pick up a science fiction read for my next book, Maybe Mechanical Failure, a novel by Joe Zaja, and I hope I'm pronouncing your last name right, Joe, a book that's quite sarcastic and seems like a really fun sci-fi read. Do you have any recommendations for me? You can get in touch with the podcast on Facebook at Well That's Cool Pod or on Twitter at Well underscore That's Cool. And you can also send me an email at Well That's Cool Pod at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Ron Yamauchi for the theme tune and to Anna Schroeder of Another Design for the Cool Podcast logo. Check out her work at A-N-N-A-T-H-E-R design.com. Other music heard during this episode and all the other podcast stuff is done by me. Ben Fast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In fact, this show is now available on Spotify and on Google Podcasts too. Until next time, stay well and happy isolation reading.